You know, I got a blessing out of uh, reading that passage this morning from the book of Ephesians because one of the things in particular is that uh, the Bible says that we are sealed with the Spirit of God unto the day of redemption. Aren't you glad that your eternal security does not rest in your hands, but it rests in God's? Isn't that a blessing? I mean, it really is. And uh, uh, however, sometimes we think that because we're sealed with that Spirit of God, that the devil can't touch us. Now, he can't touch our soul. That he can't touch. But boy, he can get a bunch of stuff. He can get our attitudes. He can get our heart. He can get our joy. He can get our peace. And uh, we're going to take a look at uh, some of the devil's devices this morning. Uh, let's all stand together, if you would. And 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll read verses two, or 1 down through verse 11. You read along silently as I read aloud. It says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he? Then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me. And, and I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I for forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgive I it in the person of Christ, lest... Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, it's good to be back in, in the church building, and it's good to have the church assembled. It's, uh, Lord, we, we are sad that some are not here, but we understand their, their circumstances and situations. We ask God that you'd minister to them in a special way this morning as well. We just ask, Father, that you had set our hearts and minds to the things of God this morning. Allow, uh, may we allow you to speak to our hearts. May we allow your word to come, come in and do the work that it's intended to do uh, as the Holy Spirit of God ministers to us. We pray, I pray, Lord, that you'd give me, give me clearness of, of mind and thought. Pray, Father, that, uh, that I'd have the power of God in the things that I say. Lord, uh, uh, without you, I absolutely can do nothing. And Father, I pray that you would just be with us in a special way this morning. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. As you do so, may we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> just to get you up to speed, uh, this is obviously 2 Corinthians, so there means there was a 1 Corinthians. 
You notice how quickly I grab onto those, those things. But uh, there's the first Corinthians, and that was a book that really was a very sharp rebuke. I mean, pretty much from the first chapter to the last chapter, he was just setting them straight because the church was extremely carnal. Uh, the church had all kinds of problems, and there was one particular problem. There was a moral issue with one of the men in the church. Actually, if you, if you study the book, there was more than one moral issue. There were other folks that were having uh, moral issues, too, that were, uh, that were sinning against God in, in, in that area. Paul addressed the worst one and said, you need to do something about this. Well, not only did they do something about it, but they did something about it properly. They did something about it right. The guy got his heart right, and that's what we're, what we're reading about in, in uh, chapter 2. He got his heart right. He, he repented, and he got restored to fellowship. And by the way, that's what you want. You know, you, you don't... church. So many times we look at church discipline, so to speak, as, as what we do to someone. That should never be the case. It's not what we do to them. It's what we do for them with the hope and the desire that they would repent, get right with God, and be restored. Well, that's exactly what happened here. But what Paul's doing is he's warning them. He's saying, be careful, because some of you still are, are pointing the finger and still are being hard on the guy, and uh, he's already repented, and he's already come back. And we need to be very careful about, about how we, we handle these things. And then he closes in verse, verse 11. Well, we close in verse 11. He doesn't. But uh, in verse 11 it says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That tells us that Satan has a desire, and that's a desire to, to affect our thinking and particularly our attitudes. Uh, that's where the battleground begins. It begins in our thought life. It begins on, on how and what we think about. And uh, we know his devices. In fact, Paul says that. He says, we are not ignorant of his devices. But I found this, that I have to be reminded from time to time. And I have to, 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 uh, to have those things reiterated to me so that I, I don't let them pass, I don't let them slip, and I keep some vigilance in my life in that area. Uh, Satan tries particularly to get uh, advantage during difficult times. And that's what he was doing with the Corinthian church. He was taking the, 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 uh, the carnality that was, that was in the church. He was taking that particular sin and using it to divide people. Um, you go over to uh, first and second, uh, first Corinthians chapters one and two, and yeah, uh, I believe it's in chapter one where where he says that some are some say they're of Paul, some say they're of Apollos. Uh, they they were they were divided and they were constantly at each other. Well, the devil knows how to divide us. And by the way, a divided church is an ineffective church. And a unified church is an, is an effective one as long as we're unified on the right things. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at, at just three of the devices that the devil uses this morning that, uh, that he uses in order to, to uh, get an upper hand. And again, remember, he cannot touch your soul. That's sealed. That's secure in Jesus Christ. But he can affect your life. 
And what he wants to do, he can't, he can't damn us to hell forever because we're saved. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you, you've had your sins forgiven, and uh, you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, and you're destined for heaven. But he wants to make us as ineffective as he possibly can. And, and that's what the message is about this morning. The first, first way that, that uh, device that he uses, uh, the first way that he tries to get advantage of us is by getting us to have a wrong attitude about others. And that's exactly what, what was happening in the church at Corinth. Uh, they had a wrong attitude in the beginning because they accepted the man in his sin, did not confront it, just kind of let it run its course and acted like nothing was happening. Then Paul brought it to their attention, and so they approached it. They, they handled it for the most part. They handled it properly. The guy got right, and he repented, and that's a blessing. Uh, but there were some that continued even after he got right and uh, continued with, uh, with uh, a, a shaming type of attitude. And uh, we need to be careful about the attitude that we have toward one another. Uh, we need to learn how to forgive like Christ forgave. You know, in our, in our passage, uh, forgiving one another even as Christ hath forgiven you. Uh, we need to remember that Christ has forgiven us of so much. And, uh, and not only does he forgive us for, for eternal life, but then the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not talking about, that's not a soul winning verse. That's not a verse uh, for lost people. That's a verse for saved people. When a person gets saved, you're made a son of God, that bond is unbreakable. But, but because you are a son of God, a child of God, you now have, you now have a, a bond of fellowship. That bond can be broken. And that's why it's important for us to confess our sins on a daily basis so that that fellowship is uninterrupted. But Christ freely forgives us when we repent. And we need to do the same thing for others. We give place to the devil when we hold grudges. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, look down in verses 26 and 27. It says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Uh, it's interesting, but as soon as he says, uh, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, immediately he says, don't give place to the devil. One of the ways we give place to the devil is by holding grudges. One of the ways we give place to the devil is by, by keeping that anger in us and not getting the thing resolved. I can't tell you how many times I have watched Christians step backwards. Christians have their lives ruined because they will not confront issues with other believers. They won't take care of it. They won't resolve it. They won't, they won't take steps to get the thing right. And uh, the Bible makes it very clear how to do that. We're not going to go into that this morning. 
But the Bible says that we should never go to bed angry. Now, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever gone to bed angry? Well, unfortunately, I could have my hand up because I have. Uh, you know, it's, it's never been good. It's never done me any favor. And the devil gets place in our life when we don't get those things resolved and take care of them. If we hold grudges, the, 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 really the bottom line to the holding of a grudge is that in all reality, we really think we're better than the person that we're holding the grudge against. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Just back up a little bit. You're in Ephesians. Book just before that is Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. I was, in a, I was in a Bible conference. I was telling one of our men about this here just the other day. I was in a Bible conference year, years and years and years ago. And uh, uh, I was, in fact, it was, it was uh, another preacher, myself, and then Dr. Peter Ruckman was, was preaching. Uh, I was glad that I was preaching before him and not after him. Uh, that's what I was glad for. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the passage of Scripture that God laid upon my heart to preach that day was from Galatians chapter 6. And having to do with uh, bearing one another's burdens and being a blessing. You see somebody who's stumbled, you, you try to be a blessing to them. And uh, so I, I had it all prepared, ready to go. The guy that got up before me, all he did from the time he got into the pulpit until the time he left the pulpit was rail on other preachers. And he just went, and, and, and the, the issues were valid issues. But he didn't want them to get right on those issues. He just wanted to berate them. And I, and I, was, sitting, <laughs> I was sitting next to Pastor Keck. He and I were at the conference together. And uh, I just looked at him about halfway through the message. I just went, I, I just went pale. And uh, I, I, I took my notes and I said, this is what I'm supposed to be preaching. And he just looked at me and got a great big smile on his face. And you know, Preacher Keck, you know, he kind of delighted in that kind of thing. And uh, he, he, he'd, he'd look at me and he, and he, says, he says, hey man, let her rip. <laughs> just let her rip. Well, what does it say? It says in verse 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So as you see somebody struggling, don't criticize them, go help them. Don't, don't have an attitude against them, go help them. Go be a blessing to them. Do whatever you can and understand this, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, you're not immune to anything. I'm not either. None of us are. We're not immune to any sin. You look at someone who has committed some sin, and in your mind, you might not say it verbally, but in your mind, you say, well, I'd never do that. Careful. Careful. Take heed, lest ye fall. And we, we need to have a, 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 a meek attitude and a humble attitude before God about ourselves before we can, we can help others. By the way, you know what the very first sin that entered the universe was? It was committed by, by Satan, who at the time was called Lucifer. And he was the anointed cherub that covereth the throne. He covered the throne of God. 
And, and uh, he got to looking at that whole situation and thought, you know what, I can be just like God is. In fact, I could, I could take over this place. And five different times he said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. What he had a problem with was pride. And he started thinking too much of himself. That's one of the things I believe the devil uses probably more than any other tool, at least in my life, and I think in the lives of people in general, is that, that tool of pride. Uh, we should always have a heart for others. I, you know, I, I don't care how, you know, how terrible the thing is that they have done, whether they've done it to others or whether they've done it to you. They need help. And, and that's what it's talking about in verse 1. It says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. You can't be spiritual with a proud spirit. You can only be spiritual if you have a, a, a spirit that's, that's meek and a spirit that's humble. Uh, you know, what the problem is, is that as, as safe people, oftentimes our feelings toward others are more closely affiliated with the attitude of Satan toward believers than the kind of attitude that we ought to have. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You know, one of the things we need to look at our lives and, and ask ourselves, what do we do more? Do we, do, we, do we criticize? Do we accuse? Do we have an attitude toward others? Or do we have an attitude of love and want to help and a, and a desire? To, to be a blessing. You know, one of the things that, that, uh, that God has gotten on me about here recently is that uh, oftentimes uh, we, can, we can develop an attitude toward, toward other folks. And uh, yet, you know what I've noticed? Whenever I have that attitude, and you know what I'm talking about. You get it too. We all get them. Uh, when, you start, when that attitude starts bubbling up, can I tell you what usually I don't do for that person? Pray. Haven't prayed. Really haven't. Oh, I can tell you all that's wrong with that individual. But that's not going to help anything. You know what I need to do? I need to care for him and I need to pray for him. And then we're given the opportunity. I need to, to uh, help one who's been overtaken in a fault and restore them and do so in the, in the spirit of meekness. So the, 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 first, the first device that Satan uses is, uh, is a device of getting us to have a wrong attitude toward others. And the second device he uses, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, back where we were, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and look down with me at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 2, 7. Actually, let's just go up to, let's go up to verse 5. It says, but if ye have caused grief... He hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was afflicted of many. And they're talking about the, the, uh, the, the punishment that they put upon this man who had committed sin. And again, he, had, he took it to heart. He repented. He got that thing right. Verse 7, though, he, he gives him a warning. He says, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. One of the ways that, that Satan gets an advantage of us is by getting us to be 
welled up with overmuch sorrow about ourselves. And that's getting us to have a wrong attitude, not, toward, not just toward others, but we often have a uh, wrong attitude about ourselves. We, we can, you know, there's two extremes. One is to think that, you know, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got the victory and I have arrived. The other one, though, is just as dangerous. And that's to say that I'm just, I'm nothing but an animated dirt ball, and I am. But therefore, because I am, and because I've, I've struggled so much with a particular problem, or maybe many, and because of difficulties in my life, I, God could never use a person like me. And we, we start being overcome with sorrow. The, the Bible tells us that, that if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 7, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, when I come and I repent and I confess to God and let him know that I have sinned and turn from that sin, the Bible says he forgives it. It's gone. He doesn't come back later and knock on our door and beat us over the head with it. Now, we'll do that kind of thing, but God doesn't do that, and I'm thankful that he doesn't. He, when he forgives, he forgives totally. And it says that he is faithful and just. Because he's faithful, because he's just, he forgives and he cleanses. In other words, once, once I've confronted the issue and I've confessed my sin, it is over as far as God is concerned. Don't keep dragging that thing up. Don't keep pulling that thing back into your life and, and thinking about it and thinking about how, how bad you are and how you are bad. You are wicked. So am I. We have, a, we have a, 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 a sinful nature. I understand that. But, but, but here's the thing. Uh, in spite of all that, God forgives and God forgives so that he can put us back on the path and we can be effective for him. You know, if, if God could use... A murderer like Moses, and he was a murderer. Uh, if God could use a murderer like Moses, don't you think God could use you? I mean, you look at you look at. I, honestly, uh, I use Moses to refute this human axiom that says everything rises and falls on leadership. There's a particular Baptist preacher who made that famous years ago, and uh, I, I never liked that because it's really it's not biblical. Uh, everything does not rise and fall on leadership. Otherwise, Moses was a lousy leader. Now, did he have problems? Yeah, he did. But he killed the guy. I mean, he took matters into his own hands. And because of that, he could have been taken up with overmuch sorrow over that thing. But, but it was after that took place that God called him to lead his people out of Egypt. And so, so, so uh, uh, you know, God, God used a man who was a murderer. If God used a murderer, he can use you. If, uh, if, if God could use a, a murderer and an adulterer like David, God can use you. Uh, it's amazing to me that, that David committed two sins that we usually put at the very top of the awful sin list, and that's the, the, the sins of, of adultery and murder. So many times, and I did this when I was witness to, I've had people do it to me, 
uh, since since I've been saved and been witnessing, and I've had I've had people say make the comment say, "Well, you mean even if I'm a murderer, that God will take me to heaven?" Yeah, yeah, He takes murderers to heaven. He takes people to do all kinds of sins to heaven if they repent, trust Jesus Christ as Savior, and allow God to forgive them of all their sin and give them eternal life based upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, for their sins. Uh, yeah, God does that. Uh, but there's, there's two sins that he committed. He committed the sin of adultery. He committed the sin of, of murder. He had, he had Bathsheba's husband slain. I mean... You know he didn't hold the he didn't hold the sword, but sent him right out into the front of the battle, knowing that he would be killed in battle, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, the the uh, uh, when the Lord in the in the New Testament describes David, you know what he calls him? He calls him a man after God's own heart. You know what that means? That means there's hope for you. That means there's hope for me. Uh, if, if, if a murderer and adulterer can eventually turn his heart and, 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 and become a person, uh, a man after God's own heart, then we can too. If God can use David, God can use us. If God can use an immoral woman, her name was Rahab, uh, Rahab the harlot, and she was on the, the wall of Jericho. She hid the two spies, and uh, they said, listen, we'll, you know, we'll... We'll take care of you, and we'll make sure that you and your household uh, don't go down when we come in. When we come into to Jericho, uh, the amazing thing you say, "Wow, you know, God God used a woman, even a woman of ill repute." I'll get, I'll give you one better than that. He put her in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Woo! How about that one? You say, "Yeah, but you don't understand, preacher, what I've done. You don't understand the damage I've caused." Listen, uh, an immoral woman who gets her act together, gets right, trusts God, gets placed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And by the way, she wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. He was a Gentile. Uh, Jews were going in to take over her city. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know it's, it's a blessing to see how God can use us in spite of us. Uh, if... You know, uh, Paul said, uh, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He didn't say was chief, he said am chief. All right, did God use Paul? Oh yeah, he certainly did. Did, did Paul, even after he got saved, did he make some mistakes? Sure he did, sure he did. Uh, he was warned not to go to Jerusalem, and he went ahead, and because he was stubborn, he must have been a Baptist. He had to be a Baptist. He was, a, <laughs> and he, he was stubborn and bullheaded. He went in anyway. Uh, but but God used him. Are you go, are you going to sin along the way? Yeah. Are you going to make some really really terrible mistakes and sins? Yeah, you are. But you know what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness time and time and time and time again. It never fails. And it doesn't fail, not because of you. It doesn't fail because he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, take, take your Bibles and turn with me. I love this passage of Scripture. I just absolutely love it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1.
1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll read down through the, the uh, end of the chapter. We'll start in verse 25. Now catch this. Catch what it is that God enjoys using. If this doesn't give you hope, if this doesn't excite you, if uh, this doesn't, doesn't uh, make you realize that God can use you to do some great things for him, then you, I, you're either not saved or you're just not paying attention. Verse 25 says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things uh, of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence." But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, did you catch what God said he uses? He uses foolish things. He uses weak things. He uses base things. And he uses despised things. Do you ever fall into any of those categories? I've hit all four, okay? I have. And God says, but I, I glory, God says, in using those things. Now, he doesn't use us when we're sinful. That's not, that's not the point. But, but he says, listen, you're weak. You're not much. You don't think you can be used. Yes, you can be used, because that's what God glories in using. He glories in using those that are weak and those that are despised and those that are base and those that are foolish because he's the one that ends up getting the glory. You know, people, people look at something that God has done through this church. But, uh, 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 people look at something that God does through your family and they say, you know, and I'm sure there are times when people have said this. How, how, come, it's, how come God used them? Good question. Good question. You know, you know what? I, I, the reason why I think he uses us? Because we qualify. We're weak, we're foolish, we're base, and we're despised. And sometimes pretty stupid. Uh, you know, you could add that to the list. But, but he enjoys using weak things and weak people so that he can get the honor and so that he can get the glory. Now, Apostle Paul said over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, he made the comment that, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, I am chief. He never forgot that he was the chief of sinners. But he also knew that because of who God is, that God could use him in spite of himself. And that's exactly what God does. He, he doesn't use, you know, sometimes we get this idea, God's using me because I, and then you can fill in the blank. I got news. God isn't using you because you do something. God's using you because he is something. And that's the whole reason why God uses us, so that he can get the honor and he can get the glory. Third thing that, that uh, Satan uses as a device in order to, to uh, get to us and to hinder us. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We'll go to the first, first temptation. 
Eve was tempted in the garden. She was tempted by the serpent. And in Genesis 3, look with me down in verses 1 through 5. It says, Now the spirit was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Third thing that the devil does, one of the devil's devices, is to get us to have a wrong attitude, not just about others, not just about ourselves, but a wrong attitude about God. There's three things that Satan did here. First of all, he doubted God. He said, yea, hath God said, and he put a little doubt in Eve's mind. And secondly, in verse 4, he denied God. He said, ye shall not surely die. Well, he was wrong because God said, you're going to die if you take of that fruit. Now, again, if you look at that at the, at the rest of the story, so to speak, uh, she took of the fruit, she ate it. Did she die? Well, not physically, but she died spiritually. She would have lived forever had she not eaten of that fruit. But because of that fruit, she died spiritually and then was eventually going to die physically. So he, he just out and out denied God and said, no, 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 that's not true. And then the third thing he did was he discredited God. And this is where I want to camp a little bit. He discredited God. Uh, th this, is, this is where he pushed Eve over the edge. He got her to question God's motives in dealing with her. He, he said, listen, uh, the reason why, uh, ver verse 5 says, For God doth know that, th that uh, in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He said, listen, uh, the reason why God doesn't want you to, to partake of this fruit is because he doesn't want the competition. He doesn't want you to be like him. Truth of the matter is, they already were like him. Because the Bible says that God created man in his own image. But what Satan did is he put something in, in his mind, in her mind, that made her begin to, to discredit God and to doubt whether or not God really cared for her and loved her. She thought that God was withholding something good. And, and, and that's, what happens, that's what happens to us. We... Uh, Particularly in the in the in the young years, and it's it's happened even to, to older Christians, we get to thinking, well, you know, God's got so many rules and so many regs regulations on my life. And by the way, there are a lot of rules and regs on our life. Uh, you know why? Because we're sinners and we need to be fenced in. <laughs> we're sinners and we're a mess. And if we if we're left to ourselves, we'll we'll bring ruin upon ourselves. And God knows that. And so, so he, he puts fences around us. Uh, there's 10 of them that uh, God put, uh, gave to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 20. We call them the Ten Commandments. Uh, there are many other ones that are all, all the way through Scripture. 
And, and the idea is, is that we look at that thing and say, well, you're just trying to keep me from having a good time. God says, no, I'm trying to keep you from having ruin in your life. Uh, I, over the years, I've watched teenagers in my own home and in other people's homes. And, you know, they, they, they get a rule or a reg thrown at them. They don't understand it. They have no idea where mom and dad are coming from. And they, they say, you're just trying to spoil my life. You're just trying to ruin. No, 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 no. We're trying to protect your life, trying to watch over you. But we have that same attitude toward God. And it happens when we look at some of God's rules and regs. It also happens uh, oftentimes when we're in a difficulty or we have something taken from us that we had, we had, we had absolutely no control over. Some time ago, I, I, I spoke with someone, a good person. I mean, when I say good person, I know there's none that do with good, no, not one. But I'm talking about a, a Christian that wants to serve the Lord and wants to, you know, loves God. And, and made the comment, why did God let this happen right now? now? Now, you know, don't raise your hand or smile or anything. Those of you that are in mass, it wouldn't make any difference. You could smile all you want to. <laughs> I couldn't see it. But... Uh, but the, the, uh, the, the point is, is that uh, we have all done that. We've done that. You say, God, you know, this is not the time, Lord, to have this breakdown. This is not the time, Lord, for, well, God allowed it to happen. So evidently, it is the time. What are we doing when we start talking like that? We're doubting God. And we're, 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 we're developing a wrong attitude toward him. And uh, we begin to question the actual motives of God. Uh, something tragic happens, and we question God's love. You know, why does this happen to me, and why do the, why do the wicked prosper? Uh, that's, that's found in Scripture. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You know, one of the things I think we need to do more of is to look at the Word of God not just as verses and not even just as passages, meaning like four and five verses together. But we need to make it a habit of, of looking at verses in total context. And what's before the verse? What's after the verse? And, and I don't, don't mean just one, just one verse before or one verse after. But I'm talking about, about uh, what's, the, what's the overall context of the chapter. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. You know the verse says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And again, we usually quote that or think of that verse when something adverse happens in our life, when something uh, difficult comes across our path. And uh, God, you know, we, we, we have to be reminded that God works all things together for good. One of the things that oftentimes slips into our hearts and minds is that, well, maybe God just doesn't really love me uh, like I thought he did. Uh, maybe, maybe I've slipped out of favor with God when it comes to his love. Can I tell you something? God, if you're, if you're saved, God never, ever has, nor ever will he stop loving you. 
You cannot fall out of the love of God. And, and I can prove it in that, in that passage of Scripture. Look down at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? And honestly, when, when I read that here this week, I realized, wait a minute, that's directly, that is directly connected with verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, there is absolutely nothing that will ever change God's love to you. Nothing that will separate God's love from you, no matter what happens in life. But the devil tries to get us to, to, to question the motives of God. I was just reading um, just, just today in Scripture, uh, in the book of Isaiah, it says that God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. We need to keep that in mind. We, sometimes we, we think we've got something all figured out, and God will throw a curveball, and it will, will mess up our whole thinking. That's because we don't think like he does. His thoughts are, are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our, our ways. And we need to realize that, that uh, we, we, we should not question God's motives toward us. But that's one of the things that the devil uses to, to try to, to get a wedge in between us and God and make us ineffective. He uses wrong attitudes about others. He uses wrong attitudes about ourselves. And then he uses wrong attitudes of God. The, the, the Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. We need to be aware when those things begin to change. And it, it all begins in our hearts, in our hearts and minds. Uh, when, when our thoughts start going in the wrong direction, it messes everything else up. It doesn't start with wrong actions. It starts with wrong attitudes. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for the plainness of it. I'm thankful, Lord, that you used an example of a church that was doing wrong and was corrected for it, got the thing right, got forgiveness from you, and then straightened up. But uh, Paul reminded them that the devil was still after them. Paul reminded them that they needed to be careful because they could easily slip back. And we need to be often reminded that uh, we have an enemy. Before I, before, before I got saved, the uh, devil could care less one way or the other about me. But once, once I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, this is true of every one of us. We're a threat to his program. And he'll do everything he can to try to dissuade us from serving you. Make us ineffective. He can't take our soul. He can't touch it. But he certainly can take our joy and he can take our effectiveness. And 
he and he does that by affecting allowing us to have our attitudes affected toward others toward ourselves and towards you i pray you speak to our hearts this morning if there's there's any of that going on right now in our hearts in our minds there any doubt about lord the fact that that you that you love us and that you care for us again uh, good folks, folks that, that uh, really want to serve God can have doubts and can have thoughts that would turn them in the wrong direction. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see those thoughts and those attitudes, repent of them, and get right with you this morning. I pray, Lord, if anyone is watching this, video, this uh, online service this morning, it could be someone that... that uh, is not absolutely 100% sure if they died today that they go to heaven. Lord, my, de my desire, and I know your desire, even a whole lot more than mine, your desire is that they trust you as Savior. They realize they're a sinner on their way to hell, and they repent and believe on you, realizing that there's nothing they can do. Baptism cannot take away one sin. Being a good person cannot take away one sin. Uh, going to church... Uh, gives us absolutely no forgiveness. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. They cry out to you and ask you to be their Savior. Lord, just have your will, have your way in, in this invitation, whether it be here or whether it be uh, in a person's living room or car. May you affect their hearts this morning. And may they say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's do so with heads bowed and eyes closed.